Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, arrests are made in the downing of a Ukrainian jet airliner in Iran. Canada very excited about the possibility of Harry and Meghan moving in, but who's going to pay? And a Canadian CEO is speaking out about that air disaster and pointing the fingers at Donald Trump. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, all sorts of developments in regard to uh, the situation which we know uh, involved the downing of a Ukrainian jet airliner, 176 on board, 57 Canadians. At first, uh, Iran denying that uh, it was their mistake and scientifically impossible and all that sort of thing. And then as the evidence uh, started to mount, uh, eventually our prime minister came out and said there's certainly sufficient evidence to, uh, to, to think that this was a possibility and then eventual confirmation of all of this. Uh, finally, after a couple of days, Iran did admit that it had shot down uh, the airliner, uh, its own defense system, a defense system which was turned on after the retaliation uh, strikes on those uh, bases in Iraq. And, of course, that was retaliation for the killing of uh, the U.S. killing of uh, Iran's top military leader. What a tangled web we weave. And we have, you know, we've arrived at where we are. So this this defense system turned on in order to protect Iran from uh, perhaps retaliate, retaliation from Iran hitting these Iraqi air bases. In turn, uh, that same system brought down this this airline. Apparently now uh, there are Canadians on the ground investigating, as well as um, it has been said that uh, Canada will have access to those black boxes. And then uh, earlier on this morning, finding out that, in fact, there had been arrests made. To talk more about all of this, Arl Braun is with us, Professor, Department of Political Science, University of Toronto, Mississauga, and Professor Monk School of Global Affairs, and with us now. Arl, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. Your thoughts on these latest developments that there have been arrests made in Iran. Are, uh, are we questioning this? Are we going to see uh, people responsible being charged here or just those that kind of get in the way and will be the scapegoat for this investigation? What we see in the case of any dictatorial regime, when they are finally caught, when they cannot escape, admitting at least some responsibility, then they will find some lower-level officials whom they throw under the bus and then claim that uh, there has been justice. We saw that in the case of Russia with uh, Vladimir Putin uh, when Boris Nemtsov was assassinated. A few people were arrested, and it was claimed that they were the ones who were guilty, that they were doing it on, on their own. The people of Iran know better. If you listen to the chants of the demonstrators who are taking an enormous risk because so many of them have been killed in the past, they're saying it is the supreme leader, it is the leader of the Islamic Republican Guard Corps, it is the president, it is the entire leadership. They are the ones who are responsible for this. That is the fundamental problem. Uh, any idea at this point who these individuals are or how many of them there are or any sort of detail? What we uh, have is that uh, some dozens have been arrested, which uh, 
again uh, makes one really wonder because uh, uh, who would be these dozens except uh, some uh, low-level uh, soldiers or low-level militiamen, uh, and uh, there's no indication that General Salami was uh, arrested. He is the uh, head of the IRGC, and there's no indication that any minister was arrested. So uh, I, I think the Iranians uh, uh, have moved towards doing something to uh, assuage Western anger and maybe domestic anger. It's after they have run out of every other option that they may do some things that are right. But here again, uh, it does not appear that they're going to do what is really necessary because the regime wants to stay in power. And you will notice that the supposedly moderate president of Iran, Rouhani, uh, gave a kind of non-apology apology. Most recently he said, well, yes, yes, uh, you know, we made a mistake, but the cause of the tragedy is really U.S. action. Hmm. Uh, how will, uh, well, let me ask you this. Uh, they, you said dozens were charged. Surprise, dozens? That's the latest report uh, yeah. we have, and often these things are not uh, right. Not accurate. It's coming uh, from, uh, from Iran, uh, and uh, a lot of this for show. I mean, this is not unusual in the case of uh, dictatorship or totalitarian regimes. Uh, they can have show trials. They can have uh, false confessions. Uh, they can sentence mm -hmm. people, and then these people just disappear and reappear. So um, what uh, they need to do is they need to take real responsibility. They need to compensate uh, the victims financially. I mean, you can't compensate, uh, of course, for the loss of life, uh, all of the pain, but these families uh, will also have suffered financial losses, so there has to be compensation for that. That, And it has to be a proper investigation where you have to have access to the black boxes, uh, and that means full access, and that should involve not only Canada, but the countries that have the capacity to really read those boxes, and that would be countries like Britain and United States, and, of course, the manufacturer of the aircraft, uh, Boeing. So hopefully uh, they had indicated that they may uh, provide some access like that. We have to, we have to see. Uh, is there confirmation? I, I thought there was information coming out today that, in fact, they said Canada could take a look at these black boxes. Is that accurate? Uh, we have to see what kind of access they have. And Canada doesn't really have the capacity. Uh, Canada is not one of the countries, my understanding is, that has the full capacity. We have some capacity, right. but the full capacity uh, to read this. It is experts, uh, and I'm not a technical person, but experts uh, uh, have said that there are only about uh, five countries in the world that have the full capacity to read these uh, black boxes, uh, and Canada is not one of those countries with that full capacity. So uh, even having some access uh, might give us some information uh, Again, experts have suggested that it may take months to decipher exactly the information 
in these boxes. These boxes may have been damaged as well. So um, we have to look at this thing with some degree of skepticism, what the Iranian regime is saying. Uh, obviously, there enhance the the need for greater investigation, and I'm sure uh, the rest of the world is reacting the same way. Um, at the end of the day, um, they're caught. They're caught red-handed. There's enough evidence without any of this to certainly prove that. How will Iran end up reacting to all of this? Because it, it may take some time, but eventually those black boxes will be read. Eventually, uh, this will all come out. And uh, Iran, all, although filtering what their people see and hear, um, I don't think they can keep a lid on this. Can they? They will certainly try because they are under pressure from uh, multiple directions. They are under pressure from the international community to cooperate, and they wound up having to admit responsibility because it was very evident that every single aviation expert said, under no circumstances, when a country is engaged in some kind of conflict, the Iranians were firing the surface to surface ballistic missiles at bases in a neighboring country in Iraq that housed the U.S. and Allied troops. Under no circumstances like that should you ever have an airport open to civilian traffic. So, and apparently, was, this was not the only flight in the air. There were there were freak, there were a few f- planes up there at that time, and more could have been shot down. This yeah. was nothing short of gross negligence and utter in- incompetence. Uh, so that is the reaction of the international community. You can see the anger, not just in the case of Canada, but also also Britain, the reaction of uh, Boris Johnson. But I think in some ways the biggest problem that the Iranian regime faces is the, do- the domestic reaction. For three days, the regime denied, denied, and denied, and they organized this massive, they orchestrated this huge funeral for General Soleimani, creating the impression that a man who was so widely hated throughout the Middle East because of his support of terrorism and responsibility for the deaths of so many people was uniformly beloved. And it was only after three days that, in the face of such overwhelming evidence, apparently the Ukrainians found fragments of rockets in the area, that they came to admit it. So the population is saying, you have misled us. And this is typical of what this regime has done. So demonstrators in the streets are saying, this is the fault of the supreme leader. This is the fault of this uh, regime. And uh, the targeted killing of Soleimani and the fact that the regime has to has had to um, basically take some responsibility punctured the aura of invincibility that this regime tried to project. Once that happens, people may feel emboldened. And you can see that in the renewal of demonstrations and in the calling for the removal of the leadership of the regime. Now, you can deal with that by making concessions, by introducing fundamental reforms, or often these kind of regimes deal with it by using additional violence. And that is the danger, that uh, in the past, the regime has chosen repression. We know that demonstrations in the fall of last year resulted in the deaths of as many as 1,500 people, 
one can only hope that that is not the case now because there are going to be increasing demonstrations. The people of Iran know that this regime is illegitimate. Uh, let me ask you this question before I let you go. Um, the prime minister said yesterday uh, that this is all due to escalating tensions uh, indirectly. I'm thinking pointing at the United States for this. Uh, the CEO of Maple Leaf Foods has issued a statement directly um, uh, pointing the blame at U.S. for killing uh, Soleimani as, as escalating this, even though it was Iranian forces within Iran that took this, this jet down. Is this, a valid, is this a valid point? Is this a valid discussion? I have difficulty understanding that because if you use the shoe on the other foot test, so for example, if this happened under President Obama, and something similar did in fact happen, that under President Obama, Osama bin Laden was targeted and killed. If these questions would have been asked, or, or uh, any business leader in Canada or prime minister would make this kind of suggestion, would that be taken seriously? Uh, is there a real chain of causation? I can understand that President Trump is a very controversial leader, is disliked by many people, in some cases with good reason, but you need to have that chain of causation. I mean, you may as well say that the Russians are responsible for this. Why? Well, the Russians supplied the mm -hmm. missiles mm -hmm. that were used to shoot down the aircraft, and according to critics of President Trump, the Russians helped elect President Trump. So mm -hmm. maybe Mr. Putin is responsible. Hmm. I mean, uh there's no limit to how far one can go in this. And so it is important to look at a reasonable chain of reaction. Uh, this was gross negligence on the part of Iran. This is a regime that has little regard for human life. Uh, it is one that has supported terrorism throughout the region. It is the number one supporter of terrorism in the world. It has wasted the country's resources on foreign adventures. They had propped up Bashir al-Assad, they were instrumental in keeping that regime in power, which in turn has killed hundreds of thousands of people and forced uh, out of their homes millions. So uh, we are now somehow trying to suggest that this regime was provoked into killing largely Iranians, some with dual citizenship, because uh, they were unhappy uh, in the relationship with United States, and that is somehow justified. Um, that, I think, uh, is difficult to follow. And as I said, one should ask, if a, uh, anyone would have said the same thing uh, about President Obama, what would have been the reaction? Hmm. How much credibility would there have been? Good point. Aro Braun has been with us, Professor, Department of Political Science, University of Toronto, Mississauga, Professor, Monk School of Global Affairs. Aral, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, talking about uh, everything from uh, uh, the plane crash, 
uh, involving the Ukraine uh, jet airliner right to the Royals. And that's what we're going to talk about with Michael Tobe because I can't let the man go without asking him his opinion on both things. Uh, according to Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau, in regard to the Royals, we're not sure exactly who's going to pay for the costs if, in fact, they come. And uh, obviously, I want to get Michael's take on on some of the developments with the uh, Iran situation and the downing of that jet airliner. Michael Tobe is with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Uh, before we get into the Royals, uh, obviously the latest information from Iran, they've, there, there's been some arrests made, although many are questioning that, and, and are they getting leaders or lackeys and all of this. But I also wanted to question you on, on your thoughts on um, what the, uh, the uh, CEO of Maple Leaf Foods has uh, tweeted in regard, Michael McCain, in regard to this uh, accident. I'll read a portion of the tweets. U.S. government leaders, uh, unconstrained by checks and balances, concocted an ill plan to divert focus from political woes. The world knows Iran is a dangerous site, or sorry, state, uh, but the world found a path to contain it. Not perfect, but by most accounts, it was the right direction. Uh, goes on to say, uh, a narcissist in Washington tears world accomplishments apart, destabilizes regions, U.S. now unwelcomed everywhere in the area, including Iraq. Tensions escalated to feverish pitch, taking out disciplinary, uh, despicable military leader, terrorists, with a question mark. There are hundreds like him standing next in line. The collateral damage of this irresponsible, dangerous, ill-conceived behavior. Uh, he is 63, but it has been confirmed to 57 Canadians needlessly lost their lives in the crossfire, including one of my Maple Leaf Foods colleagues, wife and 11-year-old son. We are mourning, and I am livid. Uh, your thoughts on this? The Prime Minister, not as direct as this, but cer- certainly said that escalating tensions uh, contributed to this, and if not, uh, these families would be home. Your thoughts on that? Where's the starting point for this conflict? Well, I mean, if we're just going to look at McCain's statement in general, I mean, although I wrote a few days ago, although I'm sorry that he lost one of his colleagues at Maple Leaf Foods, as he alluded to in the notes that you wrote, um, putting out that statement was incredibly foolish. And the reason why I said that is not because he isn't allowed to have those points of view. Whether I agree or disagree with him, and I actually disagree with him, is not even the issue. The thing that I thought was incredibly foolish, this is the man who's the CEO of Maple Leaf Foods, and he put it out on Maple Leaf Foods' official Twitter account. Yeah, That's the big issue I have with it. He wants to create his own Twitter account and put all this nonsense, or whatever, or if you agree with it, all this wonder and wonderment in a, in a series of tweets. That's up to him. Much the same way if you and I and others have our own personal Twitter accounts, which many of us do, we can say whatever we like, you know, within reason. And obviously, whatever blowback we get or whatever praise we get is perfectly fine. Maple Leaf Foods is a company. Maple Leaf Foods has shareholders. Maple Leaf Foods has employees. And Maple Leaf Foods have a lot of people that may not necessarily agree with Mr. McCain's position on what's going on with the U.S., Iran, and other things, including Flight 752. That's the big issue I have with it. <laughs> what about the Prime Minister and him saying it was these uh, escalating tensions that, that contributed to this, that caused this? Well, it, it's also, that's a different issue. Look, <clears throat> again, do I agree with Prime Minister Trudeau? No, not whatsoever. However, at the same time, as a world leader and as a world figure who is either asked a question or asked a series of questions by the media when he's wandering around, or someone who can obviously make this as a public statement, either in a speech, 
series of comments, official press release, or what have you, that's a different issue. Plus, as well, the way that his statement, that being Mr. Trudeau's, was crafted was very, very different than the way Mr. McCain crafted his tweet thread, as mm-hmm. we saw, just because of the way the language was used, uh, where blame was pointed, of which Mr. McCain, I think, did it far more directly, I think it's fair to say. And so, at least with Justin Trudeau, who is our prime minister, we can agree or disagree with him as we see fit. But as the representative of Canada, whether we like it or not, he is entitled to his own personal opinions, and he's held at a different standard than someone like Mr. McCain, who, again, as I said, not to be a broken record, and he said this on his own personal Twitter handle, that's perfectly fine. The fact that he used the company that he's the CEO with is, to me, the biggest issue of all. And that's where the differentiation between what Mr. Trudeau said and Mr. M- and Mr. McCain said, at least in my mind, is, is clear. All right. Over and above uh, the corporate angle on this, and uh, whether it's his personal opinion or something that should have been shared on a company website, why is this nonsense? And I'm playing devil's advocate here. Um, because a lot are agreeing with him uh, that, you know, if Donald Trump hadn't have killed that uh, the, the top military leader, uh, Soleimani, that this wouldn't have started. Uh, that being said, can you, is the starting point the deciding factor here? I mean, what is the starting point? That's, that's certainly not the starting point in this conflict, or is it? Well, look, there's lots of people that agree with different things, Scott, that you, I, and others wouldn't agree with. Lots of people in the United States and around the world who still believe that Elvis Presley is alive. As far as I know, he's not, <laughs> and I think he would probably say the same, and most others would say the same. There are also people who are truthers for 9-11 who still believe that the whole thing was a massive conspiracy. I don't think so. I, I've never asked you the question, Scott, personally. You can change, if, if I'm wrong, you can obviously correct me. I don't think you do either, and many of your listeners don't either. However, just because par- elements of the mob, quote-unquote, believe a certain thing doesn't mean it's so. In the case here, the issue that I particularly have with Mr. McCain's tweets and implication that because U.S. President Donald Trump, you know, had this, you know, huge fight with Iran, they killed Soleimani, and it led to this, and then to actually point the finger of blame at Donald Trump, I just think you're basically crossing too many lines. Yes, there were obviously tensions between the U.S. and Iran. And yes, whenever there are tensions, there can be casualties. No one's directly saying that. But the problem I have is that Mr. McCain, at least by the language that he crafted in his tweet thread, basically pointed Donald Trump out as the person who downed that plane. That's the way you read it if you read, I think there are four of them in total, all four together. Mm -hmm. That is just illogical to me, and it's unnecessary to point out. Yes, the tensions between the U.S. and Iran obviously could have led people to do certain things, but the claim that Donald Trump's actions caused the plane to go down, as some people really have specifically said, both publicly and privately, I find that argument to be ludicrous. And unfortunately, Mr. McCain has left the door open enough and wide open enough that he could be a part of that. If he wants to state that, no, that's not what I'm implying, that's perfectly fine. But again, he's the man who put out that thread. Maple Leaf Foods has acknowledged that he wrote that Twitter thread. So he has to stand by his words.
All right, let's move on to the Royals. It seems odd we're talking about these uh, two issues in the same uh, segment here, Michael. Um, But you've been vocal about this. Canadians are up for it, I'm thinking, unless they have to pay. What is the situation if, in fact, they do come here? Who pays the security tab? Well, yeah, look, as I've, I don't know if I've ever said it with you or not. I have certainly discussed uh, the monarchy in the past in my life. I'm not a monarchist. I'm actually a Republican and not a U.S. Republican for people who are going to obviously write into your show, although I would be if I lived in the States, a Republican in the sense that I am not a monarchist. I am not pro-monarchy. However, unlike a lot of Republicans, I'm actually not in favor of uh, the abolishment of the monarchy. Mm -hmm. I believe it serves an important role as a traditional institution. There are lots of people who still respect what the monarchy stood for at one point in time, even though they recognize, like I do, that parliamentary democracy must remain supreme. And they also acknowledge that Queen Elizabeth II, who was thrust upon a role that she would never have had had her uncle, Edward VIII, not abdicated the throne in 1936, made way for her father, King George, to take place, and then she took over him from him upon his death. She has handled her position with grace, dignity, intelligence, and honor to the point where even if you don't love the monarchy and you're not enamored with it, you're going to support her anyways, and I certainly do. But in terms of this issue, this is where I think you're going to find that while a lot of Canadians are sort of excited by the prospect that Harry and Meghan are going to live excuse me, in Canada part-time, we don't know how long exactly, we don't know where and what the situation is going to be, uh, but they're looking forward to it just simply because you don't have members of the royal family living for extended periods of time in Canada, or we certainly haven't for a long, you know, many, many decades. The thing that I think will change everyone's minds pretty fast, especially when it comes to the security detail, is if Canadian taxpayers are on the hook for it. Now, in fairness, we don't specifically know if we are. Canada is part of the Commonwealth, much like the United Kingdom, so there's sort of an understood need to protect any members from, an, from part of the Commonwealth if they come to live here for an extended period of time. There's obviously no obligation It's not mandatory. It's not written anywhere. No one's holding a gun to our head and saying, you must do it or else. But it's just something that has sort of happened with a time-honored tradition. However, in fairness, a number of security experts have actually spoken out about this. I read a piece in Reuters not too long ago. And what they're sort of suggesting is that Canada's obligation exists and would be much stronger if Harry and Meghan maintain their official royal titles. We know that whatever's going to be decided in the next few days or possibly week or so is, is going to mean that something different will come from them. They want to be completely, you know, they want to separate themselves from the royal family. There's going to be some transition period, and obviously something is going to be changed because they're not going to be full-time members of the royal family. They're not going to be on the public purse the same way, and obviously everything could switch, including their titles. But if they lose a lot of that stature and they lose their official titles and maybe they lose control of Frogmore Cottage or whatever else, that would then mean that Canada, you know, may be not necessarily forced, but want to step in to do something like that. There are going to be a lot of Canadians who say, look how much our tax dollars are wasted in general, or look how much we've paid out to people like Omer Cotter via settlements. Do we really want to also start doing this? 
when we pay so much in taxes to begin with, which we do, uh, you know, as an entire group of taxpaying citizens. I think that most people would look at the Harry and Meghan and look at their, to be perfectly frank, their controversial histories, both of them for different reasons, look at the way that they disrespected the Queen and the royal family, which I think there's no question of, and wonder to themselves, really, is this what I, you know, is this what we really want when they come over here? Do we have to pay their security detail? Do we possibly have to pay for their moving expenses, which is something that isn't part of the public discourse right now? Is this and a moot point? Things. Is this a moot point in the sense, Michael, that it all comes back to whether they keep the titles or not? That's up to the Queen, and maybe this will factor into the issue because it helps spread the cost <laughs> through the government and such. But why can't they pay? Do they not have the coin to provide? their own security detail well that's the other interesting question we don't know exactly what they have we know that obviously <clears throat> Meghan Markle independently made money when she worked on the TV show suits so she has something but what she has I don't know I don't know what her net worth is Prince Harry is obviously tied to the Windsor family and that means that he's tied to the massive public purse that Queen Elizabeth II and other senior members of the royal family have if he's you know, ch- you know, chopped off or cut off at the hip, so to speak. I don't know what he currently has. I don't know what his net worth is. I don't know if he even has a net worth. And it also means that his salary would obviously be eliminated too. So, I mean, obviously he would have something. I think that's fair to say. And obviously she would have something. So theoretically, you're right, Scott. Could they pay for things like moving expenses, security detail, and otherwise? In theory, I completely agree. But isn't that what they're suggesting here? Isn't that what they're suggesting here by saying we don't want to be a financial burden? Uh, we don't want to take your money. We want to be self. Uh, we want to be self uh, generating here. We want to be self employed. We want to do well, our own thing. So yeah, can't they well, generate their own income that way? Well, they should be able to. And if that's the case, then Canada shouldn't have to step in or pay anything. Look. I'm basing it, much as you're probably basing it, on news reports from a couple of UK tabloids. The Evening Standard and the Daily Mail both came out yesterday, or in the past few days, and have suggested that, according to them, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau seems to be fine with paying at least half, is what I've read, of their security detail, that being Harry and Meghan's security detail. However, you know, our finance minister, Bill Morneau, came out to the CBC yesterday in an interview and said that no formal decision has been made. So the answer is, of course, they should be able to handle all these things. But the fact that Canada is still in the mix makes you wonder. Uh, what about this sort of change of tone? It seems like uh, Megan has become public enemy number one. I've said like she's the this generation's Yoko Ono. Just like Yoko Ono split up the Beatles, this, this <laughs> Megan has split up the Royals. Um, and, and it almost seems as if uh, the media especially want them around, and now they're ticked off they're leaving. <laughs> when they're around, they're bashing them, but when they're, you know, threatening to leave, oh, no, no, don't go. I mean, is that the case? You can't afford to leave. It seems the tone is changing. Yeah, you know, I, I would only disagree with you on one point. To compare her to Yoko Ono, I would actually make the more direct comparison to Wallace Simpson, the American divorcee who was the reason why, who I mentioned earlier, King Edward VIII abdicated the yeah. throne in 1936. Ironically enough, Meghan Markle is also an American divorcee. So I guess sometimes history repeats itself here and there. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I think Canadians are looking at this issue. They're, I think in certain ways they're sort of looking at the star power involved with these two. 
They're apparently going to create some sort of a company called Sussex Royal, which will apparently or assumingly pay for all these various endeavors and the lifestyle that they wish to lead. But again, you know, no matter what you think of the monarchy, no matter what you think of Harry and Meghan in general, and no matter what you think of this, I would really say, faux controversy, because these aren't world leaders talking, these aren't business leaders. They're people who, yes, have a public profile, but they're not of vital importance to the day-to-day operations, not only the United Kingdom, but the world in general. But the fascination with it, to me, is, is simply because, A, the news cycle got a little quieter when things in the U.S. and Iran settled down, B, nothing is really replaced at this point. And I think, C, people are looking at this this thing and de- really declaring it to themselves to be, this is nonsense, what's going on. They're having this public battle over, over you know, taxpayer dollars, because that's what the U.K. royal family is paid with. It's paid with taxpayers' money to do to perform these duties, which, yes, is not the same as a parliamentary democracy. And, yes, they don't have any governing power. They don't rule over the land. Although, obviously, you know, in Canada, our monarch is Queen Elizabeth II, and the governor general, you know, is basically the vice regal representative of the queen here, of which, ironically, and you may have talked about on your show, there was a post-media poll which showed that 60% of respondents would be fine with Harry becoming the governor general of this country. Yeah. It's so ludicrous, but yeah. who knows, it may happen. So he's going to give up what he has, but he's going to become governor general, like he wants that hassle. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's going to happen. But look, it's just a poll. It was brought out by uh, mm-hmm. Dart Maru. It was fun. There's nothing wrong with it. But, no. Um, how, how does the prime minister sell paying even half the security costs when we're really not getting anything out of it? Like when they come here to visit, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. There's a lot of celebration. There's a lot of events going around this, uh, around the whole thing. And it does generate revenue. Right. Uh, that being said, if they're just going about their day-to-day business and people are passing a driveway that they can't go down, what are we getting out of this? So how does the prime minister sell this to the people that, yeah, we're going to pay a portion of it? Yeah, no, and I've been thinking about it, especially because he's in a minority government situation right now. This is not something I would want to really basically put my whole weight and emphasis on whatsoever. You know, if he had a majority government like he did in 2015, even though obviously there would be many Canadians, including me, who would say, what's the point of all this? It's a complete waste of money. When you have the seats in your favor, it's a little easier to sort of take control of the driver's wheel and move forward at that point. I think here it's going to be a bit harder because even though the conservatives by nature and you know tend to be or tend to favor the monarchy as an institution which again I'm a part of but in a different way because I'm not pro monarchist I'm a republican but I'm part of this I'm part of that square we would basically there would be some conservatives who would come out and say it's a complete waste of taxpayer dollars and others would be defending the tradition of it so he might have support that way, because his usual partners on the political left, the NDP, the Greens, the Bloc, Quebecois, and all that, I'm sure would basically almost universally come out against something like this. But since Canada tends to be left of center politically, which I think is fair to say, and most Canadian voters tend to be left of center, not all, but a fair chunk of them, you would think it's going to be very, very hard for Trudeau to come out and defend something like this, when he probably even knows himself that, aside from the fact that he's intrigued by the fact that there'll be royals here, you know, celebrity culture, which he loves, and all that jazz, at the same time, he has to also make sure that his political future is safe 
Because right now, a minority government, even a strong one like he has, is always on shaky ground. So I don't know how he's going to sell it, because I think most people, if they had to be in that position, Scott, would have trouble selling it themselves. Uh, well, maybe there's an extra room at Rideau Cottage. You know, two birds with one stone here. God help us. Uh, Michael Tobes has been with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thank you so much. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Have a good day. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I was talking to a, uh, a a journalist from the UK yesterday talking about all of this. And I said, well, do you maybe think that, you know, you guys are kind of tough on her, on her, on them, that, you know, especially in the wake of the Princess Diana thing, that, you know, uh, nobody's being mean to her. I blah, 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 blah. And then he goes on to say, <laughs> then he goes on to say, she's estranged from her father and she dumped her first husband. And then I started laughing. Whoa, that's what I mean. And another interviewer, interviewee hung up on me. Another guest, sorry. Another guest hung up on me right there. But hey, if, if you know, it's like at the dinner table, uh, at the holidays or any sort of family gathering, there's always the one relative that's just insulting everybody. So, you know, I think Harry and Meghan have just sort of put some space between themselves and that relative, or in this case, the UK. And now the UK is ticked off about it. We, we, we pay our taxes to have them around and living a luxurious lifestyle so we can kick them around. You have no right to leave. Now they're pissed off that they're leaving. I think it's hilarious. Everybody in Canada is falling over themselves because they want the royals. But I don't want to pay for it. Sorry. I think it's great they're here. I think, uh, like Brexit, the UK screwed all of this up. <laughs> but I don't want to pay for it. You know, uh, the estate's got lots of money. Grandma's got lots of money. I'm, sur- I'm sure Prince Chuck has left him a few baubles. Let them pay for their own security. All right, uh, to talk about this and other stuff uh, PR-related and just worldly, Alyssa Freeman is with us, public relations consultant. Alyssa PR, she is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. As always, Scott. Uh, We'll get to the Royals. I want to get to this tweet from uh, the CEO of Maple Leaf Foods first. Uh, And many have, in some form, echoed what he has said. The Prime Minister gave us uh, a much lighter version of, of, of this tweet in the sense that he said the aggression that has happened between the U.S. and Iran uh, obviously escalated to a point and, and, and you know, uh, Canadians, Iranians got caught in the middle of this. Uh, let me read a couple of these tweets. There were four in total. I'm just going to read you brief parts of three of them. Um, which basically says uh, U.S. government leaders unconstrained by checks and balances concocted an ill-conceived plan to divert focus from political woes. The world knows Iran is a dangerous state, but the world found a path to contain it. Not perfect, but by most accounts, it was the right direction. A narcissist in Washington tears world accomplishments apart, destabilizes region. U.S. now unwelcome anywhere in the area, including Iraq. Uh, Tensions escalated to feverish pitch, taking out uh, despicable military military leader terrorist with a question mark. There are hundreds like him standing next in line. The collateral damage of the irresponsible, dangerous, ill-conceived behavior as a result, uh, he says 63. That has since been updated. 57 Canadians needlessly lost their lives in the crossfire, including one of my uh, Maple Leaf Foods colleagues and his wife, uh, 11-year-old son. We are mourning and I am livid. Michael Kane. Um, your thoughts on putting this out? Many have said, especially on the company website. I will say, Scott, that press 
practice, communication says if you have an opinion, you need to separate it from the company that you represent, even if you're the CEO, even if you own 38% of that said company. In this case, Michael McCain chose not to, probably because he felt there was a blurred line in that practice because it was his work colleague um, that was affected. So he felt, well, I can draw a line between A and B here, so I'm going to put it on our letterhead. So you have to wonder, you know, what was the thinking of the entire company around this? You know, typically when these things type, these things happen, because he put it out on um, the Maple Leaf Foods Twitter feed, he has to go to the communications department. So presumably the director of communications looks at this, probably cleans it up, and then suggests, hopefully, that they go to legal. Legal takes a look at this and says, well... You know, maybe you shouldn't mention the president by name. Let's say that he did. Maybe you shouldn't do this. Maybe you should soften this language. And so they they take a little look at it. The way the prime minister did. Correct. Then what should happen is that he has to notify the chair of his board. So even though he owns 38% of the company and might well be a majority shareholder, um, there's a lot of other people that he has to consider too. So while the whole board does not need to vote whether this should happen or not. He will certainly go to the chair, maybe the vice chair, and say, I want to say this. So you also hope that that happened too. Now, if all those checks and balances have been ticked off, then, you know, the company is well aware of what is happening. And sometimes, you know, you do see Twitter accounts of a famous person or even a journalist or whomever that says, okay, I'm a reporter for XYZ, but this reflects my own opinions. I mean, I can tell you that no, it does not. If people associate you with another entity, it will reflect on that other entity, whether it's a news organization or a business. So he goes ahead and does this. Now, hopefully he was also counseled that, listen, you may attract a lot of ire here. It's great that you're standing up for your company and it's great that you're standing up for your colleague, but this is a politically charged statement. So how much blowback do you think we can expect to receive, and is it worth it? So if you even look at the Twitter feed today, and I was looking at it all day yesterday, it's about 50-50. There are people who say, mind your own business, run your company. Um, There are people who say, this coming from the man that uh, killed 22 people because of listeria at his factory. Mm. And then there are people who say, thank you for expressing what I was thinking. And what are also the company's uh, notes in regard to China and the whole meat boycott there as well. I mean, there was some, you know, there's some issues there, whether that was the right thing to do as well. You honestly have to be super squeaky clean. You really do. And if you're not, then you have to expect blowback, number one. And you have to also think, well, what are the consequences of that? So we saw that the stock price fell about 1%, but was that a big deal at this point? No. I mean, you and I talked about Nike, what happened when they came out in support of Colin Kaepernick. Mm -hmm. And there was all sorts of backlash and reaction, and typically haters come out first, Scott, right? It's not the people who are thinking, oh, isn't that nice that are coming out first. It's the haters that come out really fast and furious. So all the haters for Nike came out burning their shoes, some of them burning them while they were on their feet, which was sort of ill-conceived. Um, and, you know, Nike stock took a tumble. And, I, and we talked about it. And you asked me, do you think this will affect them in the long run? No. It was a one-day blip. It probably most of the people who buy their uh, sneakers might likely, most likely 
uh, support Colin Kaepernick. And, and, you know, they may have, like, took it, taken a hit the short term, but honestly, in the long term, um, it all turned out very, very well for them. Same thing might happen with Maple Leaf Foods. You know, there are people in the States who have no idea who Michael McCain is, have no idea who Maple Leaf Foods is, um, and may just, and, and are commenting on this based on the works themselves. So the other thing that you can also look at this uh, is, is there is a, the new type of CEO, the CEO with a conscience. Mm-hmm. So CEOs are mainly given one job, provide value for the shareholders, make money, and everything else be damned. Well, you know, uh, there is a greater corporate consciousness now um, seeping into corporate Canada and corporate America, and you see it in a lot of corporate social responsibility programs. So this often happens with LGBTQ um, issues or efforts. When it's World Pride Day, you see Oreo come out with a multicolored cookie mm-hmm. or Chips Ahoy with multicolored chips. So people do take a branded approach to supporting issues. So this is, this is now, it, it was something, uh, you know, very unusual, maybe just one or two years ago, but now not so much. So now take that thinking one step further. So you look at the, the CEO as a representative of said company, and there are many CEOs who do feel they have opinions, feel that they have worthwhile opinions, and as opposed to just being that cold-hearted man or woman who's there to make money, let's show that we actually care about our employees, care about what happens to them, and make statements to that effect. You see this with uh, Jeff Bezos, um, you know, and now you've seen it with Michael McCain. So there's really, this is really split down the middle insofar as how people are taking this. And it will be interesting to see in the coming days, I mean, we're still talking about this 24, 48 hours later, it'll be interesting to see in the coming days how it all plays out. Uh, does it matter what the message was? We've already said that, and you were talking about the process, the protocol for doing something like this on your company letterhead or email or, or social media or what have you. Um, would it have mattered if the message was different? Is it just because this message is controversial? Or is it just, well, obviously it's bad, it's, it's bad uh, either way because there is protocols to follow here, but does it matter what the message was? Absolutely, because... You know, this is, uh, you know, when you put out a message, and if you're against that message, you can essentially parse every word. So, you know, sometimes when responding to negative PR or you're responding to somebody who has written you a letter and they're angry, um, best practices dictate that, you know, the less you say, the better. Because the more you say, the more that person who might likely have nothing better to do but write you nasty letters or emails or tweets um, will start to parse apart every word. So you want to get the point across, but you want to want to do so with an economy of words. Nonetheless, whether it's you know ten words or 140 or 270 words, um, you know what you say is going to be a lightning rod. And maybe saying nothing is the best policy. You have an opinion. You know there's different ways to express that opinion. You could have done a town hall and express that opinion. You could have done a town hall and had it um, video conference to, you know, all the different McCain offices and, and subsidiaries, perhaps. Um, you could have done it that way. But when you choose to do it very, very publicly, sometimes I don't think that people really understand how big public is. Hmm. 
sometimes you, as a CEO, think, you know, everybody is, um, you know, is aligned with your messaging, but these are also the people that surround you every day and, and answer to you, quite honestly. So, you know, when you say to them, what do you think? I mean, they're all on the same page more, you know, most likely. And if they're all on the same page and they're all supporting that, then you hope that you have somebody who sits you down and you're the type of person who will listen to the other side. Not every CEO listens to the other side, Scott. However, for CEOs, you don't want to hear no. You know, they only want support for what what they're doing. And if they hear no, they just you as non-supportive. So at the end of the day, um, even if you agree with the message, um, there's still there, there's still a lot of concern here. Well, exactly. You might agree with the message and say, well, put this out because everybody's going to agree with you. And then you think, oh, oh gee, I didn't look at it that way. Well, no, probably not until it happened. And so it's like you can't squeeze out the toothpaste and then put it back into the tube. Um, many, uh, you know, it seems Maple Leaf is on a bit of a PR thing now. You might remember the birthday cake that the kid or the kid's parents ordered for the Toronto Maple Leafs and they sent him a Maple Leaf brand cake. And by that, I mean with the logo on the top, uh, Maple Leaf got wind of this and then uh, I'm not sure exactly what they did, but offered uh, the kid, a, a, you know, a Toronto Maple Leaf experience of some sort, and I'm thinking, wow, there's there's jumping on good PR. It's amazing how one week you have this, the next week you're ending up where we are now. Well, you know, a, a lot of people remember Michael McCain when he came out in front of the Listeria epidemic. Yeah, and they got kudos for coming out ahead of it. And he got kudos for it. He got yep. ahead of it. He said, I'm Michael McCain, and I take full responsibility. Now, what happened to those 22 um, families uh, that sued? You know, you're, you're sort of reading about it now, because I'm sure that nobody knew that when they sued for damages, I don't think that they certainly got much. Um, so while the, his, his, by large, you know, his public, um, the public perception of Michael McCain is a positive one. So for him to make this type of message, it fits in with his brand within his brand. And then you see, you know, this other example of the Maple Leaf Foods cake, which I think we all got a chuckle out of. And then, you know, Maple Leaf Foods gives him the Maple Leaf experience. And I was actually asked, well, where was MLSE in all this? And I'm like, okay, well, where do you think they're going to get the tickets? Mm. But, you know, so they do have a po- – people do think positively about the brand. So when you want to step out on that ledge, that political ledge, you better be careful. So does this hurt the company or help? I think in the short term, they, they, they took a bit of a beating. Um, I think at the end of the day, people who buy their products, uh, are not going to feel any differently about not buying it. I mean, yes, there was a hashtag boycott Maple Leaf Foods. I mean, honest to goodness, do you yeah. think people are actually going to do that? And I think that that's from that initial rush of haters. Um, if you're buying the product, you're probably always going to buy the product. Uh, I do know that they are negotiating to have a um, plant in the state of Indiana where mm-hmm. they will be making uh, sort of plant-based meat products. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Seeing as Indiana, you know, voted uh, Trump in by, by about 57%. So, you know, just all to say is you better think about all those ramifications before you decide hmm. to take that very public step and letting everybody know what your opinion is. All right, only got a couple of minutes left here, but I can't let you go. Uh, I know you love the Royals and such. Your thoughts on uh, Harry and Meghan uh, coming to Canada? Uh, I'm all for it, but I don't want to pay for the security and such. Your thoughts on how all of this has been handled? It, it's funny, it's, it's as if, you know, the UK sort of kicked this couple around, uh, you, you know, 
know, uh, well, the time they were there and didn't really have much good to say about them. And then when they're leaving, they're all upset. Can they be surprised? I mean, why would you keep putting your hand on a hot stove this way? I don't think that Harry and Meghan, especially Meghan, can win for losing on this. I mean, when you see, if you're looking through Instagram at any length today, you will see a lot of side-by-side um, items that say, oh, look at Kate cradling her yeah. baby bump. Yeah, we saw pregnant. that, yeah. And then you see one with Meghan Markle. What is she doing? She's already over-parenting. And, you know, Kate yeah. likes avocados. Oh, Meghan's eating, uh, you know, a fruit of, off the backs of the labor of people. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. you know... Who can take something like this every minute on the minute? Yeah. The other thing that I found interesting that I recently heard is that Megan did not attend that meeting yesterday. I don't even think she called in. I thought she so was supposed to call in. Hot, and you're not going to be the one yeah. in on the meeting. You, know, you really have to wonder. You know, poor Harry is, you know, bearing the brunt of all of this. If they want to come to Canada, fine. Um, I think under some sort of Commonwealth agreement, we are going to end up footing the bill for their security. But take note of the the Queen's message. First of all, it was a very um, it, it was a very good message that she put out post meeting. I thought it was a very empathetic message, and it wasn't highfalutin. It really just sort of hmm. it, it, it talked in a way that we could all relate. But the one key red herring in there was we you know we are happy to um, have Harry and Meghan you know live in Canada. Well, where did their titles go? Yeah. So and that, and that, and, and the title holds a lot to the security question as well. Because if they have no title, then no security provided. If they do, then it is apparently. And they have to pay taxes, and they have to do this, and they have to do everything else that this citizen does. How do you, you think? Know, how do you think the prime minister is going to sell to the Canadian public that yeah, they're coming, but we're going to pay, especially in a minority government situation? With great difficulty, because Trudeau's riding high, very, uh, 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 really riding high right now. His uh, response to the uh, the, the tragic um, uh, uh, downing of the plane mm-hmm. with the Canadian Iranian citizens has really been stellar. Even those journalists who have typically taken a poke at him day after day, everybody's stepping back and saying, you know what, he's doing a great job here. So now he has this landing in his lap, which only goes to show your honeymoon period really does last. The length of time of a honeymoon. Mm. So that being said, and, and we've only got a, like a minute left. Um, the the first day that all of the or the first day when the memorial started and this was all going down, I remember watching the memorial in Edmonton, hearing from the Edmonton mayor, hearing from the president of the University of Alberta. Very heartfelt, very uh, down to earth kind of. Uh, of, of a eulogy for these people. Um, and again, I don't want to make this personal, but when the prime minister gets in this mode, it sounds like he's acting. It sounds, it looks as if it's a demo reel for an acting class. Am I way off base in saying that? Um, people have said that. He tends to get in the, his, his way of speaking can be very breathy. And when he gets dramatic, he does yeah. get breathy. We saw it at first when he gave the eulogy at his father's funeral. You know what? I think in this case we should leave well enough alone. But again, compared to the mayor and the in the University of the Alberta, who I thought just did a bang up job, who are nowhere near the stature of this man, it, it just I, I just felt uncomfortable. I, and I think that that's, that's an appropriate reaction. We all have personal reactions to the way that people talk. Um, some of us sound more sincere uh, than at other times. Listen, that, that's that that's his delivery. I don't know any other way that he delivers these these type of messages. And for me, as long as he was on message, aside from the delivery, mm-hmm. that's the most important thing. Good point. Alyssa Freeman with us, public relations consultant, Alyssa PR. Alyssa, as always, thanks so much. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. 
The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.